Muffin Talk is a weekly radio program to which I invite guests to talk about their work and their passion for issues on community programs, social justice, Bible studies, or the Catholic Church. My interviews are done either in the studio of Planet FM or via Zoom. Today I have invited Brother Karen Finn to a Zoom recording for a broadcast. Brother Karen, a very warm welcome and hi to my radio program. Brother Karen Fenn is a Champagne brother and Bible scholar, and he's been teaching scripture in New Zealand and abroad for many, many years. Our Muffin Talk today and our online session next Friday evening will be the fourth session on the gospel according to Mark. So next, this coming Friday today will be the third session, and next week will be the fourth session on the gospel according to Mark. So on our last session, during our last session, we will go to the Passion Narrative. Brother Karen, where do we begin with the Passion Narrative in the Gospel of Mark? Well, we could begin with the, um, in the early church, with the Gospel writers. Everybody knew what happened when a person was crucified. They knew all the details. Now, how could it be? that Jesus, the crucified one, was the Messiah that met the expectations of the Jew, of, of the Old Testament. So the beginning surely is in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, of course, is obvious. We've said second Isaiah permeating the Gospel of Mark. But what does the suffering servant indicate? By his wounds we are healed. He didn't open his mouth. What about Psalm 22? And of course Psalm 22, the opening lines, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It contains mockery. It contains evildoers. They have cast lot from my clothing. Then we have Psalm 69 where the innocent sufferer is given vinegar to drink. My personal favorite is the book of Zechariah because we had um, rejoice because your king comes to you mounted on a donkey on an ass that hasn't borne the yoke. Then also, of course, in Zechariah, that's where we get the 30 pieces of silver that gets thrown into the treasury. So now, thrown this- into the treasury is Matthew, but the 30 pieces of silver <laughs> are the payment of Judas and Mark. So that means that we have to go into the Old Testament in order to find parallels? Well, to, to see the fulfillment, because this day it was necessary that Jesus suffer. Why? Where? Fulfillment. Fulfillment of the Old Testament. They will look on the one whom they have pierced. Zechariah again. So you can kind of see what they're doing. Going back in the beginning, then to interpret what happens. Because remember the very first session, we looked at how everything is written in hindsight. So you have the crucified Jesus and then the interpretation that is given to the death through 
the Old Testament. And so, so this, um, when you talk about the crucified Messiah, but there was nothing about crucified in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Is that one of the reasons why people thought that can't be? Well, the suffering servant, the suffering then is brought out through the life and death, through the death of Jesus. And we've sort of had this whole theme from the time of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was handed over. And again and again, we've got this handed over theme coming through with Judas hands Jesus over. It's The new word is betrayed, but we use it in English, betrayed, but the, the Greek term handed over is consistently used. Judas hands Jesus over and Jesus is handed over to the authorities. Then they hand him over to, to Pilate then he is handed over to his crucifixion. So we have this theme coming through. And that handed over shows that it's, it's even though he's the Messiah, we still have to think about this suffering, that it's not just, he's, he's not just the savior and the king. And um, so that he also, with all of that, knows the suffering. Yes. You use an interesting term there, the king. Because certainly that kingship theme comes through. The other theme that comes through is the prophecy. And of course, that Jesus is being the mockery, the scourging and the mockery of Jesus. And at the very same time as that is going on, one of his prophecies is being fulfilled. Because he told Peter that you will deny me three times before the cock crows. So the irony of the fulfillment of prophecy at the time of the mocking of the prophet. But, you know, to, to go back to the beginning for one moment, where should the passion reading begin for the liturgy, for instance? And I'll give credit to the Mark and Gospel because, you see, I think the Gospel actually tells us itself where it should begin. And it should begin with the woman who anoints Jesus at Bethany. Because doesn't Jesus say to her, whatever you have done will be told in memory of you? And wherever that gospel is proclaimed, what she has done is to be told. So wouldn't it make sense to begin the passion narrative? And I notice in the liturgy with Mark, yes, it is the beginning of the passion narrative for the marking year. But alas, I was, I was very disappointed to see that Matthew doesn't begin for this year. And yet it says, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, what she has done is to be told in memory of her. And that opens up such a fascinating theme and a neglected theme in the Passion Narratives, the place of the women. And in Mark's gospel particularly, it's interesting that we've done that course on the women in Mark, yes. but more and more, it's only after Jesus dies that we actually hear about the women. And the, the language is really interesting because it says how they had followed him. And we've heard already that the followers of Jesus, the male followers, were not very successful not only does 
not only do they follow him, which is the language of discipleship, they ministered to him. And the last time we came across that where the angels ministered to Jesus after the temptation, and I believe Peter's mother got up, mother-in-law got up and ministered to Jesus as well. So Wasn't she considered as the first deacon? Yes, that's right. I remember that, yes. Because (laughs) diaconia is the word of um, ministry and service. So, yes. And those women, of course, um, even though in Mark's gospel they're standing far off, we've already heard that the male disciples forsook him and fled in Mark. I sometimes wonder whether the male part of our church have never forgiven the women for being there when they weren't. But then it goes on because they're the women who are there at the cross. They see where he's buried. And in time, they're the ones who come back to the tomb and find the tomb empty. And they're given a commission. So the role that they play there is one that should be noticed in the Gospels. So we begin our reading there with that theme. We begin the reading for the Passion and Mark on Passion Sunday with the woman who anoints Jesus. And what she, she, she recognizes his messiahship because she anoints him for his burial. And that's something which the male disciples have not realized. She's accepted that he will be, he will die as an anointed Messiah. So is that also the same, um, that that point with the anointed Messiah, is that in the other Gospels too? Um, no, you will get it in, in Matthew, but you will not get it in Luke. And in John, you get a different story because you don't get the anointing of the head which is the sign of kingship, messiahship, royalty. She anoints she, the woman who washes his feet with her tears. Or you also have the sister of um, Lazarus, Mary of Bethany. But that is an anointing of the feet, even though it's told in very similar language because uh, an, a, a container of expensive oil is used. So the but story I think is it's quite special. It's quite special, as you say, if uh, if it's an anointment of kingship and it's done by a woman. And it's a recognition of messiahship that will involve death. She anoints his body for burial. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and when we come to the um, because we're talking about the passion narrative. So passion narrative would that start with the Last Supper? What is the passion narrative? Just to capture that quickly. Well, there's the whole, whole sense of abandonment and isolation because the passion, the, the Last Supper in Mark is surrounded by texts of betrayal. There's no mention of the name of Judas. One of you will betray me. And they are all not understanding. The Last Supper is a tragic story in the Gospel of Mark because it's celebrated the Eucharist is celebrated among people who do not understand. Jesus eats his Passover alone in Mark in terms of what any understanding of what is going on. It's a tragic story. So, yes, and this tragic abandonment of Jesus, it continues. You can see it 
when you move to agony, the agony in the garden, where Jesus separates from the rest of the disciples, takes three with him, and it's a, the agony in the garden is a f- terrible story. Jesus is the language is of fear and trembling in the face of death. It's very powerful, and Jesus. It's his true humanity. The Gospel of Mark is faithful to the humanity of Jesus. That That's what you said last him. week with the human face of Jesus. Oh, yes. Or the week before, even, yeah. even into the agony in the garden, yes. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he comes back. He's yearning for support and friendship. And the his three chosen disciples are asleep. And then, of course, you have the arrest in the garden and uh, the disciples all forsook him and fled. The language even of discipleship stops at that point, that they forsook him and fled. The role so, seems to be taken over by the women disciples. So the agony of in the garden is just before he was captured? Uh, yes, And um, it's it's not it's it's fearful, and it's it's not you know into the sort of the agonia. Um, we've got to be careful with the terminology, because you know the agony is in Mark and Matthew and in Luke, but it's not in John. The garden. Isn't John? So, you know, we put put them all together and call it all the agony in the garden. But um, yes, so there is a terrible fear. Jesus is very sorrowful, even unto death. And then, of course, the arresting party, and then they take him to Caiaphas, and Caiaphas puts the question to him: um, "Are you the Messiah?" And the, the the when Jesus uses the language. I am, he tells, he, he affirms, he is recognized. And the denial, you know, the lies and so on um, that are told, not the truth and so on, even though, interestingly enough, when it's the one about destroy this temple in three days, I will build it up again. I have a funny idea that was the truth because it was told. <laughs> it is fairly clear that it was said in some way. But, of course, he's surrounded by liars, so therefore that has to come in because it's an Old Testament text. And then he's taken off to Pilate and uh, is found not guilty, but Pilate, of course, is eventually. Pilate and Caiaphas have that relationship where when Pilate comes to Rome, to, to Jerusalem, in order to maintain um, the peace, then Caiaphas is the first port of call because Caiaphas, the high priest, the Romans were sensible. They left the high priest to govern the country. So, yes, and um, eventually, of course, the cross is the um, outcome of the trial. And there's an interesting facet of it all, and that's a facet of darkness, The darkness that goes with the loneliness and the abandonment. Um, interesting enough, we have the prophet Amos that on that day the sun shall go down and darkness shall be over the face of the earth 
from noon. Interesting also with the Passion in Mark is that Jesus is crucified at the third hour of the day, at nine o'clock in the morning, which means he's six hours on the cross, dies at three. That's a long time. I know, it's longer than any of the other Passion narratives. But again, one of the fascinating things is at the third hour, the whole of Mark's gospel is full of threes, three Passion predictions, and everything is in three-hour periods, like the Last Supper, um, the animals for this for the, at three o'clock in the afternoon on the day before the Passover. Then you have three hours of the um, of the supper. Then you have the three hours then to the trial, and then the third hour of the morning at nine o'clock, and then there are three um, three. Uh, Temptations given. There are three taunts thrown at him. There are three people that Jesus chose to go with him to the garden. That's right. And then, of course, he dies at three o'clock in the afternoon. So you can kind of see this is a well-structured day. But now you don't ask yourself, did it all happen that way? Or do you say, well, what is this saying? That all of this day is under God's control. And I think that's why the story is told in such detail. But this motif of darkness, well, one of the obvious things is, of course, that um, it was uh, three hours, at the darkness, and the, it was the ninth plague before the death of the firstborn of Egypt. Mm. So then this motive of darkness, though, um, it goes with this loneliness, with the abandonment sense that's there. And it's quite an intriguing facet that this darkness, it precedes the death of Jesus. And then we say, well, okay, this is this theme of darkness. Um, it's it, it, what happens at the end. The death of Jesus that inarticulate cry that comes. And the cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's mistaken. He's calling on Elijah. So Jesus dies with this cry. And then we have all those things that happen. The tearing of the temple veil. And the... Um, what on earth is all that saying? That the, the the tearing of the veil. Remember, the heavens were torn open mm-hmm. when at the baptism of Jesus. Yes, and the voice comes from heaven. And now, now he he cries out to heaven. He cries up to yes, heaven. yes, yes. And there's just silence. Mm. But then, what is really going on? What is the response? to this cry of Jesus. We have the tearing of the temple veil, which means that it's not only the high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies. God is now available to everybody. And then, of course, we have the... the centurion who speaks that... Truly, this was the Son of God. And it's not 
It's not the Thai priest or any of the Jewish leaders. It's this Gentile who recognizes that this truly was the Son of God and it opens up now that the the opening of the Gentile world to the message of Jesus. And, so and brother, God brother does Kieran, reply. Hmm? Brother Kieran, when you mentioned about the darkness and the light, I'm yes. just wondering, um, John would have certainly read the gospel according to Mark, wouldn't he? Well, um, again, we don't know, but there is a suspicion. I've, yeah. I've come across both arg- arguments on both sides of that one. Is it in John where, where Jesus says, I am the light? Uh, no, that's 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 John. Yes, Joe and I, not yeah. it's not Mark. No. So, so in a way, with all this darkness at the end of Jesus' life, there is this hope because Jesus Himself is the light. Yes, but there's it's such a different mood. I mean, the passion narratives are fascinating because there's a basic structure that's known for crucifixion, but the the theology of each gospel writer comes through so strongly, even though the Gospels come together more at the Passion than any other part, they all have their own theological emphases. I mean, it's only in Luke, for instance, that you will find the good thief. You will, it's only in Luke that in the agony in the garden, Jesus is really bothered by that ear on the ground, that right ear that gets the most more valuable member gets cut off and is lying on the ground, Jesus has to pick it up and put it back on. The merciful, compassionate Jesus, who will even take the thief with him to heaven. Now, that's so Luke. And Luke, of course, and Jesus dies with that very gentle evening prayer of the Jewish people, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, that's that's so Lucan. Now, John, of course, Right through, John's is a victory story. And Jesus dies with the victory cry, it is accomplished. He has achieved what he has set out. He has journeyed back to his father and he has he has achieved what he set out to do. It is accomplished. It is a victory. He's won the prize, the prize of you and me. <laughs> so I love that in the Gospel of John, but they, they tell such they tell the same story, but with such different emphases, different facets. And poor old Pilate in John, um, you know, uh, he was dumb before his shearers, like a sheep before the slaughterer. Now that's in Mark, but in in John, Jesus is positively chatty with um, Pilate and you have seven magnificent scenes where Pilate is sort of running in between the crowd out there and Jesus in there and it's such a different account really and of course but the other is so lovely individuality I mean it's only in Mark of course that you've got that beautiful scene of um, Simon of Cyrene now, okay, he might get into the other Gospels. He does into um, Matthew. He doesn't get into John, of course, because Jesus carries his own cross and that's it. But um, in Mark, we're told that Simon of Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. They don't get into the other Gospels. And you've got to say, well, that's interesting because those two must have been known to the Markan community. They wouldn't have been known unless the family actually became Christians. 
So these lovely little touches are intriguing in each gospel. And I think that, as you said at the beginning of the series, that the different gospels were written for different audiences. And uh, so that's, and then of course, written down as an, another story than um, originally it was told. So there would be a lot of things in between where people might have reacted and said, well, how come? When was it? And then the addition was made. It was the third hour. Maybe we don't know exactly how it evolved in the first 70 years until it was written down, wasn't it? That's right. The oral, st- the telling of the story. But um, the in- the interesting thing is how the story eventually gets put down in print, and the individual evangelists add their own. The third stage of the gospel, the evangelists themselves writing and um, giving, recognizing the audience they're writing for. And when you think of the year seventy. You're thinking of the Jewish-Roman war the, and the terrible crucifixions that went on there. And the they say that, that the they ran out of they ran out of trees <laughs> to crucify, <laughs> and uh, then you had the um, the terrible uh, time of Nero. So the, the gospel of the cross is written for people for whom the word "take up your cross and follow me." was a literal reality in their lives. So there's this kind of unrelenting call to discipleship, call to fidelity. And so that's, and that's that, important that we know this background in order to understand the gospel and see, the, see it in a different light. Uh, because um, we also, depending on what country and we are in and uh, what circumstances we live in, we need the gospel to be uh, brought to us in a different way. And I think that's why it's good to have the different years where we have a different gospel and each speaks to us in a different way. Well, yes. And I mean, what a difference when you think of a gospel for the oppressed and a gospel for the oppressors. Yes, that's right. Thank you so much, Brother Karen. So we will have um, the session uh, tonight on the 20th of November, and uh, that will be on From Blindness to Blindness. And then on the 27th of November, the last session will be the one that we have now introduced, and uh, that's the passion narrative in the Gospel according to Mark. So all sessions are on uh, start at 7 o'clock in the evening until 8.30, they are all connected, but also standalone. So if uh, you have uh, missed some of the sessions, don't worry. It, it's not. Um, Brother, Brother Karen is always happy to help understand if there's any question. And uh, maybe if you have participated in previous sessions, you have some more questions. That's always fine. Brother Karen is happy to answer any questions. So that will be the 20th of November tonight and then the 27th next week. And that will be the um, the final session of the series, The Gospel According to Mark. And then we also have a special evening on the 15th of December. That's a Tuesday with Claire Barnett. And uh, it, the title of her evening workshop will be Christmas Self-Care Nibbles. So something for you to... Um, to wind down and doing a busy time of the year and uh, join us 
for more information. So the 15th of December, which is a Tuesday, 7.15 to 8.45, Clear Barnet. And the Gospel According to Mark with Brother Kevin on the 20th and the 27th of November. Thank you so much, Brother Kevin, for this wonderful series and for helping us to get prepared for the new year, the new church year. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brother. The prophets who see oh, with justice and mercy and peace are the songs in our heart. The joy that this day is the day for a brand new start. We're singing, This is the day when the hope was called. This is the day when the light did shine. Of love we meet for the